Hey. Good morning, John. Good morning. <laughs> Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13. I bet you know a little bit about this passage. You know, while you're turning to 1 Corinthians 13, I want to give you just a couple of brief announcements. Um, if you have signed up to go to the St. Louis Cardinals game, woohoo! Then I will have those tickets in my hands in about two hours and ten minutes. So, if you have signed up and paid for Cardinals tickets, please see me Wednesday night or next Sunday at the latest. Please, please, please. Okay, that's going to be an exciting time. Tony's got a little bit more about that uh, during the final announcements today. The other thing that I want to let you know about, I do believe a couple of weeks ago while I was gone, Jenny may have talked to you about the fact that we had an offer on the building, a contingent offer, right? Yeah. Well, I've got more good news. House of Prayer is under contract with one of their two buildings. Yeah. This is huge. So, we have one more thing. We have one more river to cross. We need to be praying for this property of House of Prayer to be rezoned. Okay, and I don't, I don't understand zoning and all that, but it needs to go back to basically a commercial zoning from a church zoning. That's the last obstacle, and then we will be closing on this building. See, God is faithful like that, right? It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, right? So with that said, let's go to God in prayer. Father, you always prove faithful. Your timing is certainly not our timing. Uh, we have found that to be true in our life over and over again, but your timing is perfect. You know our individual needs. You know your church's needs. And God, we praise you because you are flawless. You're so unlike us. God, you pursue us when we're doing well, but you pursue us even harder when we're not. We don't love like you, but yet we long to learn, expand our hearts to love like you, to be patient like you, to be holy like you. Thank you for being patient with us while you continue to work on our hearts. Father, there is no area that we don't invite you into our life. And God, if we've done that, please show us so we can repent of it, because we need you in every way. God, I thank you for each person here today. Father, whether they've been worshiping you for 40 years or four months, I pray you bring each one of us closer to you through our worship together, through your word and through our relationships. We love you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, 1 Corinthians 13, we often think of this as only a passage for marriages, right? And it does work well in the context of marriage, but in the bigger context, Paul wrote this to the church in Corinth and how to have godly relationships with one another. 
Let's look at it together, starting in verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clinging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. You know, even as I was reading that, convicted... When Paul talks about if we're mature, we're always doing these things. But none of us is fully mature. None of us is Christ. So none of us always does these things. But that's the goal, right? You know, you, you may have heard before you fill in your name. Like, you know, starting in verse 4, you could say, Steve is patient. Steve is kind. And that's always a convicting test to do, isn't it? But you can also do it towards other people. Am I loving towards John? Am I patient with Derek? Do I dishonor Kathy? You see, it takes it to a, even another level, doesn't it? In the first three verses of chapter 13, Paul says that love is more important than spiritual gifts, knowledge, faith, generosity, or even a willingness to die for Christ. Paul said that. Steve didn't say that. Paul said that. Hmm. Going on in verse 4, Paul tells us that love is patient. Love has a long fuse, so to speak. Love is slow to boil. Love counts down before it blasts off. If you were describing the world that we live in, would you describe it that way? But even deeper, would you describe your heart that way? It's challenging, is it not? You know, I heard a story about a woman waiting at a bus stop one day. And she saw a gentleman that wasn't exactly nicely dressed. 
pretty shabbily actually, and she saw another man go up to him and give him money. And watching this man give him money, it convicted her, I need to do the same. So she went and handed him $10 and say, never despair, never despair. Well, the next day, same bus stop, the man she had given the money to came to her and he gave her substantially more money than she had given him the day before. And he said to her, never despair, 10 to 1. Never despair, 10 to 1, my friend. But you know, showing kindness doesn't always get you tenfold return, does it? Matter of fact, showing kindness, which is an act of love, right? Showing kindness oftentimes will bring us more problems than a return of kindness, doesn't it? But why do we do it? We do it because of the love of Christ. We do it because His love compels us. We do it because God loved us first, is why we do what we do. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke 8. Now, we've looked at these two stories in Luke 8 a couple times over the years. But it fits in to what we're talking about this morning, expressing kindness to one another. We see Jesus showing kindness to two people specifically here who are entirely different. One is a man. One is a woman. One is an outcast, poor, unknown, ostracized by society because she's been bleeding for 12 years. The other, rich. Influential, ruler of a synagogue, an important man. And yet Jesus treats both of them with kindness. You see, love talked about can be easily ignored. But love demonstrated cannot be denied. Jesus' love could not be denied. My first point, saying all that, Jesus expressed kindness by listening to people. Look at Luke 8, verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. Now we're not told exactly where Jesus is going, but knowing Jesus like we do, it's probably safe to say he's going to some place where he could teach and preach to the masses, right? This was something that was very important to Jesus. But Jairus comes and tells him about his 12-year-old daughter, and Jesus is impacted. Jesus wants to help. Jesus wants to stop his schedule. Jesus wants to not come across as I'm being interrupted here. This is important. I need to help this little girl. By the way, this is a good question for us. How do we handle interruptions? How do we handle it when somebody in need wants our help? But we've got things to do. We've got people to see. We've got a schedule to keep. Challenges our heart, doesn't it? Some people work best when they can just focus on one thing. Some people do well with interruptions. They're very flexible. 
But as you get older, I've noticed, as I get older, I should say, that those interruptions oftentimes are for me. Those interruptions are for my heart. Those interruptions are to humble me. Those interruptions are to help me serve somebody else. Those interruptions get my heart back in the right place. Can you relate? You see, if we just go about our schedule, if we just go about our itinerary, and we don't allow the interruption to happen, we likely miss a great opportunity to see something that God's trying to do with us. Do with us and do through us with somebody else. Be interrupted often, brothers and sisters. I haven't figured it all out yet. I'm preaching to myself. Verse 43, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Remember we talked about that a couple months ago? Her bleeding immediately stopped. She had prayed likely every day for 12 years, over 4,300 times she had prayed. Please stop the bleeding. Jesus asked, who touched me? When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know because the power has left me. Jesus is surrounded. Massive crowd. People in a hurry. But Jesus was able to differentiate, differentiate between the touch of the crowd and a personal touch of someone who needed his help desperately. Our world is becoming more and more impersonal. We could do a whole lesson on social media, right? How many times have you been in somebody's presence, or maybe you've even done it yourself? I know we all probably have. When a message on Facebook or a dialogue getting on Facebook or a texting dialogue and, and again, we've said this before, it's okay for a passage of information or a real quick, you know, passing of, of knowledge. But on a subject that matters, pick up the phone, right? Or go set an appointment. We got to still be able to talk to one another, right? Look each other in the eye, see the body language. But it reminds me of how automatic everything's become. Right? I mean, you go to the gas station, you pay at the pump, you get back in your car and you're gone, right? You don't have to see anybody. You don't, ha unless you gotta go to the bathroom inside, right, on a long trip, you don't have to go inside. If you don't ha need a pack of gum or a soda or a bottle of water, you don't have to go in. You can pump, <laughs> you can sit in your car and pump if you want, and be gone. You don't have to talk to anybody. The bank. Same way. Airports become in the same way. But what would happen if our emergency dispatch system became that way? You think about that? You dial 911 and you hear, if you have an emergency and it's a murder, press 1. Right? 
If it's a burglary, press 2. Okay. If the burglar is still in the house, press 3. If he's got a gun, press 4. Is that where we're heading? It's an impersonal world, but you and I have the chance to bring the personal touch back to this world. Second point, Jesus expressed kindness by being considerate of others. He was considerate. Look at verse 47 and 48. Tells us, then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Remember now, she's unclean. She's an outcast. She was treated like somebody that had leprosy. Probably not living with her family for 12 years. Her self-esteem had to have been shot, right? All-time low. But Jesus doesn't treat her like an outcast. Jesus is impressed with her faith. Jesus has time for her. Jesus has the same time for her that he has for Jairus and his daughter. Pretty amazing. I imagine she poured her heart out to him and Jesus listened. Are we good listeners? You know what? Sometimes we think we have to have all the answers. And sometimes I tell people, I don't have the answer, but I know the one that does. Let's pray. I don't have all the answers, but it's probably in that book you're holding this morning. Right? But I can listen. I can care. I can empathize. I can do that. I can grow in that. You know, we pass each other and say, how are you? But do we have the time to really listen if they want to give us an answer? If they want to. If they're not going to give us the fine. Do we really care to hear the answer? There's a lady that was going on a flight in the afternoon. And her son had gone to a movie earlier in the day. And he came home and he wanted to tell his mom all about the movie. And he was long-winded and he gave it every description. I mean, he just went on and on and on for several minutes about every detail of this movie. And she was like, i got to get packed. i got to get to the airport. She's thinking all this in her head, right? She's not listening to her son. And then she gets a phone call right when her son's done telling her about the movie. And it's a neighbor wanting to tell all about this experience she had on vacation. And she's describing all the places she went, all the people she saw, and all the money she spent. And she's going on and on and on. And she, you know, the lady on the phone's not listening. I mean, she's, she's got the phone up, but she's not hearing her friend. So finally, she gets her bags packed. She heads to the airport. And the taxi driver talks about all his day. And she's just like, where can I just go to get away from people? And there is a time and place for that, right? 
but it can't become our overall condition of our hearts. Jesus often withdrew to places to be alone with God, but he always re-engaged, right? She got to the airport, got there 30 minutes early, got through security and everything, and finally sat down. She was like, nobody. Finally a break. Nobody. Lady sits right next to her. Says, I take it you're flying to New York too? Yes, yes I am. She goes, I wonder if it's cold there today. And she's thinking, oh my gosh, this lady's going to start talking to me too. Just her heart's not in a good spot. But we can be like that as disciples, can't we? We laugh, we think it's just the world, but we're like that too. So they finally get on the plane. Actually, before they got on the plane, the last bit of conversation they had before boarding was, my husband is going to be on this plane too. You see, he died, and we're taking him back home to New York. I'm going to miss him like crazy. We were married for 45 years. But the lady still wasn't getting it. She still, she still felt interrupted. Finally, they get on the plane. Our, our friend in the story sits down, and she hears the new widow talk about to the lady she's sitting next to a couple rows over, are you going to New York, and how cold do you think it is there? And my husband's on the plane. You see, people just want a friend. People just want someone to talk to. As disciples, we should be that person, right? We can do that, right? We can listen. Who knows what God will do with the simple act of listening? Jesus did that that day. Last point, Jesus expressed kindness through an understanding spirit. Jesus expressed kindness through an understanding spirit. Verse 49, while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the home of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's mother and father. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and he said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anybody what had happened. Now let's concentrate on the rest of the story. You see, this miracle is exceptional, right? We praise God for miracles. But notice what Jesus did after the miracle was over. He said, don't tell anyone what has happened. You know, some of the most disturbing words in the English language are only four words long. I told you so. 
Isn't that arrogant? Isn't that pompous? It's fun to speak it when you're on that end of it, right? And you relish it. I get to tell them I told you so. But it's really prideful, isn't it? If you were Jesus, wouldn't it have been tempting to say, I told you she wasn't dead. I told you she was just sleeping. I told you just to believe. Jesus doesn't do that. You got to remember now, they made fun of him. They mocked our Lord. And he still was humble enough to rise above it. They mocked him, and he remained humble. Sometimes it takes a lot less for us to become prideful, doesn't it? What would we have done if we were Jesus? I told you so. Don't ever deny what I can do. Watch this. I'm not even done with her. Wait till I get a hold of y'all for making fun of me. What would we have done? He didn't try to get even with them. He actually, knowing Jesus, he was concerned for them. He didn't try to glorify himself. Instead, he extended grace. He extended kindness. He tells the parents, don't tell anybody what's happened here. So as we get towards the end, I tell you a quick funny little story. 610 Cowboy walks into McDonald's and orders a half a Big Mac. Lady at the cashier is like, half? I can give you a whole one. I want a half a Big Mac. Can you make it happen? She's like, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know if we do that. So she goes and gets the manager says, what do, what do I do with this? I got this big, clumsy cowboy at the front ordering a half a Big Mac. And she looks over her shoulder, and the cowboy's standing there. And she goes, and this gentleman here wants the other half. You with me? Sometimes we got to be quick on our feet, right? Sometimes we have to be, all the time, we have to be prepared about what we're going to say. We have to be wise with how we choose our words. We have to be spot on and ready for those situations that throw us off. So the last story I'm going to tell you today is a story of some construction workers working on a vacant lot across from a hospital. They're a few weeks into the project, and on the third floor that they're working on, they look out one day and they see a window in the hospital and they see a poster in the window that says, Hi, my name is Lisa. They're like, huh, wonder what that's all about. But the next day they bring in poster board and they all sign it. My name's Ray. My name's Jim. My name's Larry. My name's Bobby, on and on and on and on, right? Next day, little girl, how are you guys doing today? Is it hot out there? Are you guys working hard? What are you building? They respond back to her. This is what we're working on. It's going to be an office center. You know, we're doing great. We got ham and cheese for lunch today, whatever it may be, right? They begin a dialogue. But see, one day after a couple of weeks of that, 
they noticed there wasn't a new message from Lisa. And the foreman went over to the hospital, went up to the third floor and talked to the nurse in charge of the floor and they said, yeah, Lisa's taken a, a turn for the worse. We've had to place her in intensive care. We don't know if she's gonna make it. And eventually Lisa died. Several days passed and there was a note or new poster board put in Lisa's old room that said, thank you, Bobby. Thank you, Larry. Thank you, Jimmy. Thank you, Ray, for loving my daughter enough to show kindness. You see, just taking the time to do the simplest thing, we never know what God's gonna do with that. It meant the world to Lisa in her last weeks on this earth. It had a lasting impact on her parents. See, love is kind. Love is patient. And we need to learn to love one another because we've got to learn to love a fallen world. But we've got to love each other first, right? We get to practice on each other. We will mess up. I will mess up. I have messed up. You will too. Thank goodness for God's grace, right? We've got to learn to be kind and patient and loving. And like Anthony said in his communion, what is it we're supposed to learn? What is it we're supposed to learn through whatever trial we're going through? It keeps coming back to me. Expand your heart. Love people more deeply. But I don't think that's just for me. I think that's the call for all of us. Jesus demonstrated his love for us while we were still sinners. He died for us. The least we can do is learn to listen, empathize, and be patient with one another. Amen? That's the message. Anthony's going to close us out with a, a, a couple of announcements, right? Just a couple and a closing prayer. Love you guys. Thank you for letting me share the word this morning. Steve.